The Sports Career Podcast, episode 232. How can sports lawyers innovate the future of the sports industry? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports law. I really do hope that this episode can support you with your career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Sarah Otwada. Sarah is an international and entertainment sports lawyer and the founder of Snow Legal Sports and Entertainment Law, which provides legal services in the sport and entertainment sector. But their vision as a legal firm is to protect and promote African sport, culture, talent and enterprise. For that reason, it's wonderful to have Sarah as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Sarah will share her legal career journey and explain to you how sports lawyers can innovate the future of the sports industry. Sarah, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh my gosh, it's so amazing to be here, like finally. (laughs) Uh, My sports law career started about... I'd say eight years ago. Um, it started when I was in a bus on my way home. The first time that I heard about this thing called sports law. So one of my my very good friends and classmates at the law school introduced me to one of his former classmates, who is a rugby player and also a lawyer. So this guy knew that I was interested in entertainment law, but he said should also look into sports law because I kind of connected. And at the time I was just like, yeah, right. Uh, What is this sports law thing you're talking about? But um, he got me intrigued enough to Google it. And then after that, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole. (laughs) And yeah, that's pretty much where it started. It was a serendipitous meeting on a journey home on a very hot African bus. So just really quickly out of interest, reflecting now, looking back, eight years ago, have you seen that connection between sports law with regards to the entertainment industry? Hmm, sports and entertainment are actually very good, close allies. And if it wasn't for TV and broadcasting, then sports would not have reached uh, the numbers or the masses that it has today. So there's clearly a very big entertainment value when it comes to sporting events. Um, just how it's also very intriguing how they kind of feed off of each other because without sports you don't have the big audiences and then you can't you can't bring in a new and interesting collaboration so i'll give you an example um the super bowl of course everyone who is interested in f- american football loves to watch the super bowl right 
But the ones who are so interested in the Super Bowl are there to watch the halftime show. So the big names who come to perform at the halftime show, you would get a massive audience who are more interested in the halftime show than in the sport itself. But you'd actually get them starting or curious enough to watch even a little bit of the sport before they get to the halftime show. So it's it's intriguing because these two elements, sports and entertainment, tend to feed off each other. Um, and I, I have a feeling they'll continue to do so long into the future and see how exactly it transforms and evolves. Even now with with not so many sports being played, you have esports and e-gaming so you're seeing a lot of collaboration between video games and the music industry so someone like travis scott who took his um the launch of his new single to fortnite um and who knows how many other musicians who are thinking of very interesting ways of merging the world of sports and entertainment so just from a legal standpoint there could be some students thinking okay this is awesome but where does this lawyer element come into play could you just share what a lawyer does behind the scenes to be involved in that process if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um well there's a whole lot of stuff that lawyers do for people both in sports and entertainment but let me go one category at a time so for sports you have to start from the basics the foundation of sport is the institution or the federation which runs that sport. So that institution or federation needs assistance in setting up its organization, whether it's registration or setting up its constitution or rules and regulations for how the sport is played. And so lawyers come in at that level. Then you have the contracts in sports. So contracts between players and agents or players and clubs or, or the, the club itself or federation together with an event management team so that competitions are well managed. So the contractual issues are also covered by lawyers. And of course, with contracts, there's always going to be an element of conflict. So in terms of conflict negotiation, resol- resolution, mediation, arbitration, lawyers are involved to help resolve disputes. So there's that level. And then there's also advocacy issues. So right now, one of the hottest cases is of Casta Semenya and the rights of intersex athletes. So of course, lawyers come in to assist from even a human rights level to to get some of these athletes the correct platforms or correct pathways to assert their rights. So lawyers are used in all these different places within sports. Entertainment, likewise. Although most of entertainers or or people within the entertainment industry, um, the bulk of entertainment is in intellectual property. So the preservation and the protection of intellectual property is what lawyers are mostly interested in. So whether it's through registration or through, um, through, through mechanisms to help protect the IP, so copyright infringement, so take down notices, cease and desist orders, those kind of things, and also collection of royalties and licensing of rights. That's what lawyers do. I find this really interesting. Sarah, out of interest, which area do you specialize in or do you focus in all areas? 
because what you've just explained are like the different pillars. But I assume when starting out as a lawyer, you can't be good at every set, every pillar, if that makes sense. So may I ask, which area did you focus in at the beginning? And then uh, and then how did you build that experience with all the different services a lawyer can provide in the sports industry? Yeah, you know, it's it's so weird because um, actually, I know, I know I said I started sports law. It's actually nine years. Yikes. I'm very old. But with entertainment law, I started with entertainment law first. And I got into it in a very weird way. I started, my interest in entertainment law was born out of my modeling career. So I started modeling when I was in my undergraduate course, while I was still doing it. Um, I was lucky enough to be in the finals for Miss Kenya, but do I say? And then they gave us a really, really, really bad contract, (laughs) like a really bad contract. So. Once I got off stage, I got a lawyer to help me get out of that contract. And then immediately I got out of that contract. I went to my supervisor for my dissertation and I told him I'm switching my dissertation topic from what I was writing, which was access to entertainment establishments for persons living with disability into the regulation of talent and modeling agencies in Kenya. So it started from there. So for me, it was more of a labor and contract issue, which I started off with. And then I started slowly building the other things that I do. So right now, what I, what I, what I focus on, of course, is both sports and entertainment law, but I built my intellectual property expertise through working on several different projects in IP. Um, I also built my expertise in arbitration and mediation through guiding whether it's an institution or parties who are in dispute and then a lot of the other stuff is just people hear about you and what you're doing and they come along and they ask you do you know about this and I'm like nope but I'm about to find out (laughs) so that's how I learned pretty much learning on the job so I do it all I do a bit of employment a bit of labor human rights child and minority protection, uh, a lot, a lot of contracts, a lot of dispute resolution. Yeah, in a nutshell, I'm, I'm super woman. Awesome. That's awesome to hear. And can I just say, Sarah, age is just a number uh, with regards to age. <laughs> and just going, just going back in time, just to fill in to the listeners, particularly for students, what did you study? Could you just share your like um, sort of education journey, which led you to where you are now? Yeah, I totally did not want to study law. I was actually on my way to fashion school, uh, but my very African parents were like, "Get just get yourself a serious degree first, and then we'll discuss this fashion business after your serious degree. So we're still discussing it. Me and my parents are still there. Um, but law, law was so it was so random. It's I literally chose it because number one, I had the grades to do law, and number two, I hated mathematics, so I was running away from any course which had to do with math. That's it. There was no other inspiration other than I hate math and I have the grades, so let's go. So just really quickly, was would you say the real defining moment of you getting in the legal sector was that experience when you were a model and you went, right, there's no real maths in here. Here it's more the communication 
and making sure things are sort of right from a justice standpoint. Is that what really sparked you to pursue a career as a sports and entertainment lawyer, reflecting? Reflecting now, definitely my my modeling career definitely helped me kind of focus and narrow down on the area that I was interested in writing in. By the time I graduated, I still was not going to be a lawyer. Like that, For me, I was like, I'm just doing this degree for my parents. Once I'm done, I'm done. But when I went now to study in the School of Law, which is a postgraduate certificate course if you want to join the bar, that's where I really got to sit and understand the intricacies of the entertainment world. And then with sports, it was so random. Like I said, I, I found out about it on a bus. But by the time you need to do like, um, it's like a training contract. Right? We call it pupillage in Kenya. So by the time I was going to do pupillage, I just knew I don't want to do my pupillage in a big law firm. I need to do it in a firm which kind of understands my personality, which is a bit kooky, <laughs> but but also very creative. So um, it's such a long, my gosh, I don't think we have time to, to give you the story of how I found my pupil master because that story is a whole different it was an epic journey, Ed. It was epic. That is all I have to say. Uh, it took me three months to find this guy who was whose office was literally 10 minutes walk away from my home. That's how epic it was. But it involved me going back to a prison. Oh, my gosh. But we'll, we'll talk about that on another podcast. So when I found my pupil master, finally, um, mind you, I was... In my model garb, I had a big afro, skinny jeans, high heels. And I was like, yo, you're my future people master. Excuse how I look like, but it's you. Um, and he was convinced after a few minutes of conversation. And he said, yeah, sure, I'm coming. I'm sure we'll learn from you as much as you learn from us. And my first job was going to register a sports academy. And that's just what kind of introduced me to the sports world properly i find this really interesting with this pupil master is this like a, a phrase relating to like the word mentor out of interest so when before you become an advocate of the high court in kenya you need to go through like i said the kenya school of law which is pretty much an advocate's training program you're in class every day for half a day throughout the year before you sit for your bar exams and then after your bar exams, you're supposed to have a mandatory six-month training program under an, a senior advocate, or rather an advocate who's been practicing for about for at least five years. So that advocate who's training you is your pupil master, and you are his or her pupil. Look, I hope the listeners are enjoying this because we're going really nitty-gritty here. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for sharing this because I think this is really important. Out of interest, yeah. as we know, we're, we're good friends with Dev Kumar Palmer yeah, who connected yeah. us. I always like to share people. Um, always like to share people on my show how I connect with people and how networking is such an important skill to develop. May I ask how networking has influenced you with regards to your sports career journey? of the new opportunities or even challenging yourself out of interest? Oh my gosh, big time. So networking, if it wasn't for the people I've met, I would not be 
I would not have any of the opportunities that I have right now. Like the like I mentioned, the first file that landed on my desk from my pupil master, he told me, I don't know how to do this, so you're going to have to figure it out. So I literally went around knocking on doors for Ministry of Sports, the Football Kenya Federation, the Kenya Premier League. And that's where I met all these wonderful people who introduced me to their circles and to to the projects that they were working on. And that's how I got to work on the Sports Act, the first sports act that Kenya ever had. And that's where I got my reputation built as a pioneering sports lawyer, because a lot of the country had not heard about this. So that was from the Kenyan perspective. Then when I joined East Day, East Day is where I went for my master's degree. Side note, I got to my master's degree because I did this whole crowdfunding campaign where Kenyans just kind of, they have such a spirit of giving and they helped me crowdfund for my master's. So that aside, <laughs> when I got to East Day, finally, um, the networks at East Day are so rich in terms of the teachers or the lecturers who are teaching us were these rock stars in international sports law. So talking about the lawyers for Lionel Messi, for Neymar, lawyers for Manchester United, Man City, um, arbitrators uh, from the, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, a lawyer who had been working in the NBA. I mean, it was such an expansive, rich network of teachers. And some of these teachers actually introduced me to my first major jobs. So, like, immediately I got out of East and I came back home. One of the um, high-profile cases that I worked on for a Kenyan athlete at CAS, one of my teachers from East actually introduced me to that case. Then, of course, I went back to East as a lecturer because of all the hard work and also a lot of the recommendation from Dev. So Dev was instrumental in getting me back into East Day to teach, and not only just to teach about sports, but about what's happening in African sports. And I also got one of my other teachers who introduced me to the Qatar Sports Arbitration Foundation. So now I'm also on the arbitrators list in Qatar. So it's just, I can't stress enough having good relationships with, yes, your teachers, but also your peers. Because anytime I have a very strange case, which I would need to find someone who is, let's say, in Colombia, in Bogota or something, all I have to do is just reach out into my networks and one of them will be able to find a colleague who I can speak to. And that's happened quite often. So networks are really important in sports. Sarah, you've made my jaw drop and I just want you to take a moment now with that story of how you got into ISDE. Can you just reflect of, you know, that achievement of your journey and what are your thoughts of what you've just said? Because honestly, a lot of students don't realise and I've interviewed a fair few people from ISDE and they always have something different about them that got them into ISDE and make them or they've also achieved things out of their comfort zone in the sports industry. So I just want you to take a bit of time just to reflect on how were you at your comfort zone when fundraising to get to Isday out of interest? 
was I out of my comfort zone or was I correct oh yeah well yeah well, uh, well you've just you've just shocked me with that story <laughs> and I, I just want you to reflect on that achievement oh okay um, and I and, and and I'm intrigued of how you got out your comfort zone at the same time oh it's because necessity is a mother of invention like I was let, let's put it this way because of my work with the Sports Act, I understood that Kenya was in a position to change sports forever. But we lacked the expertise to have people in the right places within these institutions who will take sports to the next level. So, of course, I, I knew a little bit about sports law, but not enough that would help me help these institutions or even the federations and the clubs who are going to take on the task of executing and implementing all the new rules and regulations under the Sports Act. So I went to my friend called Google and I was like, yo, what what can I do? Like, where can I go? Where can I learn about all these things? So Google introduced me to a few schools and out of all the schools I saw, I was like, yeah, this one sounds, this one, Easy, sounds like my jam because their focus was practice-based. The one thing that I had that I knew could get me to where I needed to be was just my creativity. So I created a whole campaign around getting to Spain and I called it Sindikiza Snow Legal. Because by that time, I'd already had my digital identity as Snulivo. And Sindikiza is a Swahili term, which means to escort. Although in this case, we use it during fundraising, where if someone has given you, let's say, £10, we always ask someone else to help escort the £10 with another £10 or a £5 or a £1, etc., etc. So that was the concept. Um, so yeah, I came up with a campaign and, and I was like, so how can I get this campaign to be a bit broader than what it is right now? So I figured the one thing I have that people are always talking about is really interesting networks and networks of people who they would want to get involved with. So I was like, say no more people. I've got you, fam. So I talked to all the top Okay, not all of them, but a good number of the top musicians, uh, sportsmen and women, people in media and, and business who agreed to give me one hour of their time in exchange um, for 100 bob. So I put them in a raffle, basically. So anyone who paid me 100 bob, which is a little bit less than one pound, got into a raffle where they could get to spend this one hour special mentorship with these celebrity mentors on my raffle. So that was just one aspect of, of, my, of my crowdfunding campaign, which thankfully Kenyans were like, yes, we'll help you. Then of course, there were other aspects of the campaign, just direct donations. Although in this, in this sense, I was like, look, if I'm gonna make it to the phenomenal price that Easley has put for this education, uh, I'm going to be very specific with how much people will need to give me. So I was like, yo, you can either give me 1,000 shillings or 10,000 shillings or 100,000 shillings. And luckily, because I put those kind of prices, people are like, okay, we can give you, we can give you uh, what's within our pockets and what's within our means based on those three prices. So 
I managed to get quite a lot raised so that I could go to his day. But there was also a lot of goodwill just generated from the campaign. So so just people like my airplane ticket was paid for me. Um I got uh, a long, long chewing gum relationship relative <laughs> who assisted me with accommodation while I was in Madrid. So yeah, it's it was definitely out of my comfort zone for sure, but I had no alternative. <laughs> and I didn't want to choose a cheaper alternative because I knew where my mind was at. I wanted to play at the level of the big boys. And if I wanted to play at that level, I had to go to where the big boys were at. It was easy. And I was like, I may not have the resources, but I am resourceful and I will get those resources and I will go to Spain. End of story. Absolutely. And big girls as well. Don't forget that. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on this. Honestly, this story, I hope the listeners have enjoyed on it because this is what hustling is about. Like if I had to put a word to it, it's hustle. And you've just blown me away with this conversation. Just with regards to this week's podcast topic, out of interest, how can sports lawyers innovate the future of the sports industry from your perspective out of interest? Oh, this is such a good question because I'm just going through that myself. Um, the law as an industry is very slow paced, but sports law is extremely dynamic, mainly because it moves at the pace of the events, right? There's a set calendar. Um, you have, for example, let me take football, for example, the Premier League, there's a set calendar you have to do, you have to play matches every so often. If there's a delay, then there's going to be a ripple effect, not only on the teams, the, the players, but also the sponsors and broadcasters and any other supporting industry to the Premier League. So even decisions have to be made very quickly. Um, if there's any disputes, disputes have to be done very quickly, sometimes in within two or three days, like even now, as we speak, there's a case that I have for Football Kenya Federation concerning an election dispute, and we need to resolve that in two days because the election calendar is tight. So because sports law is extremely fast paced, at least you're used to the dynamism of it. But because of COVID, a lot of things were slowed down. And now we've had to figure out, right, what happens to the practice if the people who are, the, the sports people themselves and do not have jobs? If they don't have jobs or they cannot practice their discipline, we in turn will not have work, right? So we're evolving in a way, trying to use what we've already learned over the decade and even just the research that a lot of lawyers have had beyond what we've done. So we're in that phase where we're creating a lot of stuff within the firm, which we hope will be very valuable, but also entertaining because the entertainment value, let me not lie, creating content, whether it's video, audio, or written content, it's it's valuable, it's entertaining. And, and also we don't have to be so boring as lawyers, oh my goodness. Um, you don't have to speak in a way that's purely legalese. Like, 
your audience needs to understand what you're saying. So essentially, because we've understood that we operate in uh, an industry which is so, 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 so um, reliant on the sports people, we need to find a way to make money without having the sports people as our main source of income. But what we've understood is he who creates will most likely be in the best position to earn from their creativity for years to come. So that's where we are. Just really quickly then, what inspired you to start your own legal firm relating to what you've just said now? Oh, no, that was out of necessity again. Um, Because like I said, and it goes back to my pupil masters. They said, yeah, we, we can give you room to to do your training but after that I was kind of like on my own because there was no other firm in Kenya which was practicing sports and entertainment law so while so as soon as I got my um, practicing certificate I think six months after I got it I registered my first firm under my name (laughs) under my under my digital identity Snow Legal um, because I knew I needed a place where I can practice what I want to practice. It was purely out of necessity. Then, of course, years later, um, I, I had put it on the shelf for a bit. Um, I, had, I had a partnership uh, a few years for, for, for about four years. Um, but once we went our separate ways, I was like, you know what, Snow Legal, let's dust you off and bring you back to life and create a vision around the brand, but also a vision around the firm, which will take the firm into the next level. So right now, I'm so happy I have a team of incredible lawyers. We are so diverse. We are like... Oh my gosh, I don't even know how, how. So one of my former teachers in the university who used to be the dean of Catholic University of Eastern Africa is now a member of my team at Snow Legal. That's how crazy it is. Um, then we also have a really interesting, um, a really interesting advocate by the name of Wilson Masharia. He's blind, but he's unbelievable. He has a very sharp mind, sharp wit. He's an advocate for people with disability. And I thought, you know what, I need someone like that on my team so that we can also understand how to be more inclusive in how we operate. And even just having him as a member of our team, it's already changing how how we even put our messaging out into the world. Because previously, we just used to post something on, on Instagram and they're like, yeah, we're done. We're done. Good job, people. So now we're understanding the role of inclusivity and access for disabled people. Will a blind person be able to enjoy or understand the content that we put out? Will a deaf person be able to understand the content we put out? Will an illiterate person be able to understand the content we put out? So it's, yeah, it's different. But in short, I'm sorry, this has been a long-winded answer. In short, um, I created my firm out of necessity. 
Hey, you are not waffling on, I tell you that for a fact. I find this fascinating (laughs) and I think you've highlighted a good point that content is about senses and how it engages people. I've had the privilege to interview two blind people on my show and it's a different experience. And whenever I communicate with them, I always do audio messages. I don't send them written messages. Um, You know, it sounds common sense, but sometimes common sense isn't common practice. And that's the key with engagement. Anyway, I'm just saying from reflection of what you were saying, just really quickly, though, there's one more question I want to ask because I'm fascinated. How you transcended from a role perspective from just being a lawyer to now being that sort of CEO slash leader of your law firm out of interest. Now you've got a team behind you. Oh my God. (laughs) It has been blood, sweat and tears for the last six months. Uh, In a way, the, the great pause that COVID has given us has given me enough room to understand how to set up and manage a team. And what kind of automation do I need? What else do I need um, for to enable them to be at a level where they will do their absolute best and shine? Because for me, what I understand is I, I have the best people on my team. My job is to put them in a position where they will be able to use their capabilities at 100%, but also not to ignore their weaknesses. So my operations manager, for example, her name is Diana Heidi. D is a guide um, in a program which assists women to, to understand their own psyche and to tap into themselves so that they can be able to operate at a higher level. That that for me has been the biggest learning. The other the other big thing was I think someone recently asked me, so you guys are all working remotely? I said yes. So how do you manage productivity? I told them I don't. They manage themselves. <laughs> I'm not gonna be behind behind them every single day or on their phones every every five minutes. No. They know their tasks. I have properly communicated what needs to be done. If they have questions, they need guidance, I'm always there. But for me, I trust them. I trust in their ability to perform and let them go and fly. Look, this is awesome. I hope the listeners are enjoying this because this is what it's all about, not just working with a team virtually, but also with a team, you know, in person. And man, this sounds amazing. I, I can't wait to see this legal firm flourish. And look... Out of interest, Sarah, going back to when you were that young kid on the bus, what have you enjoyed the most from the last nine years in the sport, legal, entertainment, sports industry sector? What have you enjoyed? Oh, it's definitely meeting people. Um, The people I meet, they're all types of characters, by the way, all types of characters. But that's just the spice. Variety is the spice of life. I've enjoyed the interaction with people. That has been to me, it's richer than the amount of money or the travel, although the travel is really nice, I must say. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's meeting really interesting people because I what I understood is I was living in a bubble um all the way up until I would say high school it has been quite interesting. And also because there's such a dichotomy with sports and entertainment, because entertainment is all about the glamour the showing off and all these things. But sports is about meritocracy. Like how hard can you train 
in order to put yourself to to be the absolute best and there there's no yeah there's a little bit of showmanship but it's it's the real deal so having to walk these two worlds it's absolutely fascinating seeing the different types of people that there are in the world and they are different so Fantastic. Look, out of interest, we're at a great stage of the interview now. I'd love to finish with an inspirational question. You've provided, Sarah, bags of sports career tips, especially in the legal sector. But out of interest, what three tips where university students or graduates can take action if they have the desire to pursue a career in sports law? What would those three tips be? Number one is find a career which suits you. Don't don't try and make yourself suit the idea of a career. I guess because a lot of people see them, they see lawyers who are very, you know, put together in a suit all the time, very serious, never crack jokes except if you're in private. You know, it's 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 really for me that's that's not who I am. I just I would go crazy feeling like I have I'm living a double life. So find something which suits you rather than trying to mold yourself to suit something else. So that's the first thing. The second thing is find your tribe, right? Because not everyone, you're not going to be a good fit with everyone else either. So don't be afraid to let go of the people who don't understand your journey and or people who at the moment would want you to take a different course or direction, especially if you're going into a non-traditional field. Find your tribe and and nourish that tribe so that they can help you on your path. So that's one, and that's true. And number three, do what scares you. Take the first step, even though you don't know whether you will be rejected, people will slam a door in your face, it's okay. Let it happen. It's a lesson learned, but do it anyway. Whether you're shaking, even though you can barely get the words out of your mouth, just do it and see what happens. The most that can happen to you is, well, you'll learn a lesson. So those are my top three tips. They are fantastic. I really hope the listeners take them on board as much as I have just now. Out of interest, Sarah, how can people interact with you online? Well, we, you can find me everywhere, except, well, what's was everywhere? Everywhere is I'm on LinkedIn as Sarah Ochoada, but my law firm, Snow Legal Sports and Entertainment Law, is on LinkedIn as well. And then you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as Snow Legal, S-N-O-L-E-G-A-L. I'm on Snapchat as well, but I haven't snapped in like a while. Um, the only platform which I am still trying to figure out if I want to join is TikTok. So I'm not there yet, <laughs> but you will find you can find me on YouTube as Snow Legal as well. And I've I've posted a lot of videos about my journey, even from the time that I was raising crowdfunding for my for my studies up until now. Oh, which can I mention just what we're doing right now? If if you don't mind, um, we have launched a special program with Ease Day, known as the Sports Law Safari. So, of course, when you think of safari, you think of, I don't know whether you think of animals or a journey, but safari in Swahili means journey. 
So for me, Sports Law Safari started off as a podcast just to let people know about my journey into sports law because it's 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 been an epic journey, I tell you, Ed. It has been epic. But I wanted to transform it into something that people would enjoy to listen to, but also have something that would help other sports lawyers or aspiring sports lawyers to navigate through the systems of sports law so that we can get to their dream jobs. So for now, we have a sports law safari navigator program where where the attendees are taken through an eight-week course to learn about um, how do you find the right program for you? How do you apply for these programs? How do you finance your education? Um, What can you do to get the best internship? And what opportunities are there after sports sports law after you study sports law because a lot of people think you have to go into a law firm not necessarily there's so many other things you can do you can become a legal commentator you can um, become an arbitrator and join an arbitration team you can join academia and teach sports law there's so many things you can do with your sports law education so that's what sports law safari navigation program is about and you can find more information about that on all our social media. Awesome, 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 awesome. All those links, everybody, will be on my website with regards to my blog post relating to this podcast. Sarah, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And might I mention, this has been a long time coming. And for your audience, just so they know, it was a struggle getting us here. <laughs> the internet was not working today, but. You know, we made it happen. We made it happen, Ed. That is what counts. (laughs) This is why I love podcasting. It's conversations like this where I actually learned so much during the experience. And I hope you did with regards to learning from Sarah's epic career journey as a sport and entertainment lawyer. But without a doubt, the biggest takeaway I've learned from her from a personal trait perspective is her resilience and just making it happen. For me, that story of how she fundraised to get into ISDE because that was her only option to be able to compete and be resourceful and thinking outside the box with regards to making that Masters a reality shows true character with regards to who she is as a sports lawyer. But also, another area I love about Sarah, I love her energy. I think it came so across that she's as different as a lawyer. I totally agree. When I started interviewing lawyers, they do have a a clean, slick look about them, feel about them with regards to their profession, which, of course, being professional is so important. I'm not saying that, that it isn't important. It really is, particularly when it comes down to any business they have to do. But it's so nice and refreshing to just get some character with regards to them as an individual. And without a doubt, Sarah is a character with regards to how she is a lawyer, but how she is as a person. And you can tell she's just so passionate about giving back as well and sharing her journey to inspire others. So I hope you've learned as much as I have during the podcast experience. And without a doubt, I hope you've got a better understanding of what it takes to be a sports and entertainment lawyer in this industry. 
But from a career perspective, I hope you've taken those tips on board right at the end. And I think the most important one is I really enjoyed how Sarah phrased the sort of term like find a role that suits you, that you mold into it instead of doing a job and molding into the role. Um, I hope that sort of makes sense, but I totally get what she was saying. When people, when I wanted to work in the sports industry, it was like I was trying to find the role that suited me instead of me just focusing on my strengths, exploring who I was as a person. And in time, my skill sets reflect the roles I'm doing now and the projects I'm doing now. So I hope you put those career tips into practice today. Really focus on your sports career development now and put them into practice. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Sarah said, when you get a rejection, it's okay and let it happen because it's just a lesson learned. So when you do something new for the first time, do it anyway and see what happens. The worst case scenario is you learn from it.